Friday, beautiful people. It is Friday. Good morning. Happy Friday. If it's around nine o'clock, you know it's me. Love Babs, love talk. <laughs> I'm Babs Rose Ivy. Thanks for uh, tuning in this morning. I know those folks that are on their way to work. This is Friday, y'all. So you know what? Dance through your day. Let me see. Yesterday, I, uh, I made it downtown for the... Uh, second line uh because you know um arts and ideas been doing these little concerts on the green on fridays so i finally made one and this is one i really wanted to make uh because it was uh, a new orleans style band march second line vibe and it was really good it was high school students the amistad um uh what are they what are they called they have a real name. Oh, but they were so, those babies were so good. And they had those, those, I don't know what they call their dolls. You know, the, the, the sisters that, the young sisters that were dancing. Um, uh, but, you know, at, at HBCUs, they're called, they have names, you know. So I missed the first half hour because I was getting out of the house, getting off calls and, uh, but I did get downtown and I caught the performances and the drumming and the whole thing. And it was a gorgeous day to be on the green. Gorgeous, gorgeous day to be on the green. So um, anyway, it was fun. It was fun. It was fun. I enjoyed myself immensely. I'm glad uh, I'm glad I got to uh, catch that because, you know, I, I'm a... I, Listen, if I could live in New Orleans, I would live in New Orleans, but not year round. Like I'd live one month in New Orleans. That'd probably be like March. Because <laughs> after that, it's two, it's two miles from hell. I can't do it. Uh, but I, I would live in New Orleans in March. You know, February, March, that'd be about all I could take. Uh, so so that, that was really good. And then uh, let's see, I ran back over to the, uh, I had to run over to the inner city and then uh, uh, spent some time there because, you know, I, I'm there and uh, ran over to uh, um, Possible Futures and hung out there for a minute and then, uh, and then went to uh, celebrate the life, art and legacy of Winfred Rembert at Next Haven. Um, it was quite interesting. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think, you know, this, this is what I'll say about it. Those of us that are black folks and, you know, we get, we gather with our peoples over the holidays and sometimes people drink too much and sometimes people, whatever too much. And, you know, they get to talking and, and it was that more, it was like that. It was just, it was just, it was just being black, you be black, black, black in this space. And if you white folks, you don't know what that's like. It's it's a little, uh, it's like you're peeking into a, a story that you have no knowledge of. And uh, it was good. It was interesting. Um, it was interesting. I will say that. It was lovely to see Mrs. Rimber. She looked beautiful. And then, and then they had a panel, which I, I, I just felt like the panel was, I mean, honestly, for my time, if I would have pulled this off, I would have just had Mrs. Rimbert 
and and somebody talking to her. <laughs> somebody just facilitating the conversation because all the other conversations were, I, I don't know, I don't know why it was a panel. It was just, I don't know. But listen, uh, it was interesting. <laughs> I'm glad I went. I saw some people I hadn't run into in a minute. So that was good. And to see, listen, I will say this, to see his artwork up close in person is a, a beautiful thing. And I will say um, the author, the uh, co-author or whoever was up there talking with them, um, showing the pieces. It was really nice to see the pieces. So, um, but Dory, Dory, Dory Dumas and I going to do it differently. It'll be a little different. <laughs> and and it'll, it'll be a new Hallville. <laughs> I, I, and listen, I found out that there was a Justice Collaboratory. I had no idea. Who knew? So maybe I get to have them come on and talk about what they do. Uh, it was really nice to, to, to meet them. It was really nice to meet the, uh, the folks who put the book out. That was really good. And I have the book. I love the book. But I, I tell you, the most compelling thing for me was just hearing um, Patsy Rimber, Mrs. Rimber, talk about her life with him. For me, that's worth everything. That's worth everything. And uh, Mr. Rimber's uh, sister was in the audience. Uh, his, all his acres and children were in the audience. And they are good looking, beautiful looking people, I must say. They are very beautiful looking people um, and just striking people. And so it was really nice to, uh, it was really nice to have them, to have the family there. Um, and the books were there um, and Mrs. Rimbaud looked beautiful. Um, and it was, it was, it was a really wonderful, i tell you what I did like, like seeing the artwork on, them showing the slides of the artwork and how the beginning of how some artwork um, before it was colored looked. Um, it was just, I tell you, Mr. Uh, Rimbert was way ahead of his time. I mean, he should be up there. Uh, he is up there with the greats. Um, my first um, project that I worked on in um, New York when I was working for Terry Williams was um, the migration series uh, for Jacob Lawrence. And uh, now I, and you know, I did not know the work of Jacob Lawrence until I worked on on that uh, exhibition at MoMA. So I would be at MoMA every day, helping, working on being point person on this exhibit uh, with all these white these folks, and uh, it was quite exciting to me. Uh, so exciting that they they gave me a coffee table book uh, just for me uh, of the experience. And, uh, and they actually wanted me to come work for them because I, I was just so enamored of the, of the art and I just had such energy for it. Uh, but no, I didn't want it that, I, I wasn't thinking that forward. Had I, had I worked for them, I would have been further along, I would have been deep into the arts management and arts world. And this was 30 years ago, so. See, Michelle, I know how to tell the right time. 30 years ago. Mm. So, so yeah, so, so, so he, 
he is up there with the Jacob Lawrence and, and all, all those great artists of that particular time and that kind of genre of art. And I have some Jacob Lawrence pictures in my house because I love that work. Um, so uh, so now, now I'm on a quest to get me some Renford, uh, some uh, Wimber, Winfred Renford artwork. I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I got to give me a piece. I know there's something got to be for sale somewhere. <laughs> I got to have me a piece. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I, this is why I need to be rich, because there's so many things I would do. Because if I had the money, I would build a gallery. And I know exactly where I would put it in New Hallville. You know, where those folks was going to put that st stupid ass uh, convenience store. I would trick that out and it would become an artist space. It would become a gallery and it would become the Winfred Rimbert at gallery. And I'd have some artist space so I could have a couple of artists in residence throughout the year. Pretty much what, what they're doing at Next Haven, but on a much smaller scale in New Hallville. And, and I would probably try to do it uh, with emerging, with emer well, all artists are emerging, right? All, all artists, are, unless you are heavily established, and that's few, unless you are like a Titus Kafar and all those other kind of people. But an, an up and coming, an up and coming emerging artist, um, I would, I would do that. I would create a gallery space. I would open up that those because it sits on the corner beautifully. And I would put wind. I would tear down those walls and put glass. I would put windows there. Um, so no matter what day, time, and night you walk by, and it would be lit inside. You would see. You could see the art. That's my vision. And you would see the artwork. And then upstairs, because there's an upstairs, uh, I would trick that out into artist space. And, and, and that's what I would do. I would, I would just do that. And I would even try to figure out how to, how to even slide the glass doors, at least on one side of the street, maybe the Bassett side. And then I could, you know, put chairs out there and, and people could come and sit and enjoy the art in that neighborhood, you know. That's why I need to go buy me a, a Powerball ticket so I can win the $800 million. Then if I win the $800 million, I could do that. <laughs> That's what I would do. I would, I would, I would just put a gallery. And, I, and I, don't, I wouldn't care if people were like, oh, we need a grocery store. New Haven is not that big. It's not like Texas where you got to like, you know, need a car and a caravan to get to a store. I mean, there's grocery stores all around. You know, there's 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 farmers markets and all this stuff. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm not suggesting that we don't have food deserts. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I'm 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 reimagining things, particularly in the neighborhoods where people don't imagine things. They just don't imagine. They just don't imagine a gallery in New Hallville. We need a gallery in New Hallville. That's what I want. So that little space that sits right there on New Hall and Bassett. If I had the money, that's what I would do. I would make it the I would make it the Winfred, Renford, Rembert, Rembert <laughs> gallery of, of beauty and art. <laughs> and then, and then I would, uh, I would connect with my sister from Bloom and I'd put some of her stuff in there and she could sell, you know, she could be an out, it'd be an outpost for some of her stuff. And it'd be an outpost for books for possible futures. That's what I would do. And then I would put um, an outpost for banned books. So uh, you know what? Or if she if she wanted to host things there, that's what I would do. 
that's what I would do. And we'd have artist talks and all kinds of happy hour kinds of things there. And, and that would just, that would just change the trajectory of the neighborhood in, a, in, a, in an amazing way. And then people from Science Park could walk on down. It's not a, it's not a hike. It's just a couple of blocks. You know, it'd be great. That's what I would do if I had some money. So, yeah. So that was that was interesting last night. Then I came on home. Uh, tonight, I'm open source at, at Bloom. That's at six o'clock. So if you, if you have not participated in any open source, this weekend would be the weekend to do it. So what I'm going to try to do uh, this weekend is I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to try to do what I normally do, run to all the things. So my, I, my goal is, because um, the, I, I got the Yale Access to Law School tomorrow morning from nine till 12. And then from there, I'm going to run over to the Black Expo. I'm going to do a little time over there and uh, support, check out, rah, rah, rah. And then I got to get over to Erector Square. But I want to get over to the Eli Whitney um, barn um, because I want to see uh, Susan Clinard's work. I just think she's so, I, and I've only seen her work in pictures. So I've not seen her work up close and personal. And I just find her to be, her work just to be stunning just from the pictures. So I want to run over there and see that in real time. And then I got to run over and see Karima's mama's work because her work is beautiful. And, you know, I've been collecting her, um, her angels. I have two. She gifted me one, which I don't even know why she gifted me one, which I just blew me away. I'm still enamored of that. And then I bought one and I told her uh, I'm starting my collection. So if I could see her, if she's selling some this, this weekend, I'm going to go buy me one. Now I have no money to be doing anything, but some things you just have to do, even if you don't have any money. <laughs> Even if you have to cut your grocery bill, there's some things that you just have to, you just have to invest it and you just worry about it on the back end. Now, listen, I don't want people to fret. I ain't Mr. Meal. Do I look like I'm Mr. Meal? I'm not Mr. Meal. I'm just saying, I try to make my money do what it do. And, uh, uh, and I, and I, I don't think people really understand uh, just, just how close to poverty I am, <laughs> which is fine which is fine on a lot of levels uh, because uh, I, I know what it is to have lots and I know what it is to have nothing. So I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle of this right now. So I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna continue to support her work um, because I, I've always been a patron of artists. There have been some artists that I've, I've, I've supported throughout my life, um, just a few dollars here and there um, to, keep, to keep them in paints or to keep them in, whatever, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I just love artists, I always have, and I try to do what I can. I just commissioned, um, I just commissioned a portrait of myself by an artist who I adore. And uh, I haven't, I, 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 and uh, it's for my 60th birthday. I, and that's one way that you get to support artists. I don't, I, and I don't, I don't, I'm not telling this because I'm amazing. I am amazing. I'm telling you this because people think that it is some heavy lift to support artists. It is not. There are some small ways in which there are small ways that are big to the artists that you can support them. You can buy their work. Number one, um, you can, if they got a Patreon, 
uh, account, you can you can give ten dollars a month and just keep supporting them. You know, ten ten dollars a month for a year is how much? A thousand dollars, right? Or a hundred dollars, or whatever it is. Uh, you can you can do that. Like it's nothing. It's 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 not a hardship. Like you don't have to be Oprah to buy art. You don't have to be Oprah to buy art. So, you know, you get $10 a month, that's $120 a year. That, but that's that's $120 towards an artist that you admire, respect. And, and, that's, and that's your contribution to that. And, and, and you become a patron of the arts. I love that. So, um, so yeah, so Saturday, I'm going to run over there. I'm going I'm to hit the Eli Whitney barn. I'm going to hit... Um, uh, uh, Erector Square because there's some stuff I want to see over there, particularly Karima's mama. Soul, soul mates, I believe that's what it's called. Soul shoot, soul, uh, whatever it is. I don't have it in front of me, but y'all know what I'm talking about. And I want to, uh, I want to support that. And then um, uh, Chris, uh, Lauren's husband, Chris is having, he's an artist too. He is having his talk Saturday evening at Possible Futures at six o'clock. So he's going to have a talk about his work. And if you've not seen his work, it, it, it's his artwork that's hanging up in the gallery. The people coming in like, ooh, ah, ah, ooh. And it's like, oh yeah, that's his work. <laughs> like she, she didn't go to Marshall's and buy that. You know what I mean? Like she didn't, she didn't, she didn't get that from Wayside. That's his work. <laughs> and it's, it's lovely. So, and then I think she's inviting people uh, to come to the studio because I think he's got some stuff for sale like he's having a fireside sale because I believe he's moving into a new gallery space and uh, yeah so so yeah so that I think that's my I think that's my Saturday and then Sunday um, I've got conversation with my coach and then I'm um, uh, I, my 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 writers my writers connect group we're not meeting tomorrow because uh, my girlfriend is going on a girls trip with her friends um, somewhere Austin I think Texas and so so we're not going to meet up on Sunday I mean we're not having our our usual writing t commitment at eleven uh, but I am talking to uh, uh, the new bride the, the 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 folks that I'm marrying in December. So I'm meeting with them for the first time Sunday afternoon, and I'm excited to do this because they're getting married and they asked me to marry them. Oh, I love marrying people. It's my favorite thing. Uh, and then I'm meeting with my coach, Demi Moore, in the evening at six. So, so that's my weekend. That is my weekend. Now, I need to get some LSAT studying in because the LSAT is, is not going to take itself. <laughs> I ran into uh, Anton, who was in the class with me um, last night, and he was like, how's it going? I was like, I've not found my steady rhythm yet. He's like, me either, perhaps. <laughs> I've not found my steady rhythm. And I, and I, I have a soror in, in the group, and she has found her steady rhythm, and I like her steady rhythm. I just not have adopted it. Maybe this week, maybe this weekend, uh, the, the study gods will smile on me and I'll get it together. Now, actually, today I got to get it together because 
we take another LSAT diagnostic in December and I need to act like I've progressed. <laughs> I, I need to, I need to act like I progressed. So I got to get on this, you know, I just don't know y'all. I just don't know. Uh, my, 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 Ife, I don't think she's listening to me right now because she's she's substitute teaching in the public school system. <laughs> so yesterday was her first day. I think she she said it was fine. You know, she had to check some kids, but for the most part, it's been fine. Uh, today's day two, I think. So we'll see. I heard the PJ Morton concert was at, off the hook. I'm so glad I was able to... Uh, um, gift tickets to folks um, courtesy of the inner city. I was very happy about that. Uh, I knew I couldn't go because God knows I can't make everything. Uh, Nick DeMaria is playing, I think, at uh, at Art Space tonight. So I have, to, I have to double check, but I think they're playing tonight. And I, I really would like, that might be a cool space to go here then play, you know, uh, downtown. But I, I have to get over the bloom. So uh, and then Three Sheets is happening tonight, too. So, jazz. Oh, okay. <laughs> he faced off today and Monday. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, I can't wait to hear the adventures of uh, substitute teaching. I hope she writes this down and makes it a play of some sort. Because, <laughs> you know, I couldn't do it. Um, tonight is open source. Tonight is open source, and then and then we roll, then we hang with um, Ruby Melton uh, after the fact. That's tonight. You know, I know it feels like so many things are going on. I know, 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 I know. But yeah, so yeah, tonight is open source, and then after that, you know, we gonna hang with our girl Ruby, and. Uh, uh, do a little dance, make a little love, and get down the night. We're going to smoke some cigars and drink some liquor and just be beautiful. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, yeah. So that's tonight. So, yeah. I can't stay out late because I got to take my butt to school <laughs> in the morning. In the morning. So I cannot be hungover going to this very... Uh, and I've got work to do. Oh God, that's all right. I'm a, it's gonna all work out. It's gonna all work out. It's all gonna work out. It's all gonna work out. I'm, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. So, so yeah. So that's that's the weekend, good people, and it's a good weekend indeed. And then, uh, and then we gear up. We get to the week. Halloween, um, uh, the thirtieth. October 30th, Sunday is the anniversary of my mother's passing. And uh, uh, tomorrow is the anniversary of me, of the 15th anniversary of me walking the hell out of federal prison camp. You know, I, and, and this, this is the time I always remember. I always remember the 29th. I never remember the day I walk in. And this is why I already talked about this the first day of when I walked out. So maybe I'll make some memory about when I, when I walked the hell out, you know, I got out just in time for, uh, to take my kids to, for Halloween. And that was that, you know, and, uh, 
Yeah. So, and then next week is uh, the first day of American Indian Heritage Month, you know, and uh, that starts Tuesday. And so I'll see what I could do for that. And then I'll I'll be out Tuesday and Friday next week. I mean Thursday and Friday next week because I'm a, I'm gonna go to the uh, Yale Divinity Open House on Thursday because y'all know I want to go to Divinity School. And uh, and then uh, I've got to uh, I'm participating in the symposium Justice and Art Symposium in Trinity all day. So uh, I'll be doing that on Friday. And then Saturday, New Haven's finest at the Schubert. I, I want people to come. I think, I think people will enjoy seeing this level of talent that we have in the city. I want people to buy a ticket and come and support, support our, 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 our folks. Uh, and then I'm going to run across the courtyard to uh, the Lynx Gala. Because <laughs> the beat don't stop to the break of dawn. <laughs> and then Sunday... My sorrow, Joy Donaldson, turns 75. And uh, I'm going to go and hang out with her because her birthday party is going to be at the uh, Brazil, uh, at the Brazilian restaurant in Rest Haven. So, and daylight saving time's in. And as I understand it, we're not doing daylight savings time anymore. Is this it? <laughs> Are we plunged into darkness from here on out? I've been doing daylight savings time all my life, all my life. So I don't know. Is that is that true? Is that a, just a vicious rumor? <laughs> are we are we doing away with daylight savings time now? There's some parts of the country I think in, in the Pacific. No, no, no. Uh, uh, the mountain people, the mountain time or central time. I don't think they ever do daylight savings time. So, oh, in March. So March. Thank you, Efe. So in March, after after we spring ahead, we're not doing that anymore. So, you know, woo wee. Okay, 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 okay. So we 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 gonna we gonna be done <laughs> until somebody else comes along and uh, changes it. So, but yeah, all right. So listen. I don't want to hear anybody say there's not anything going on in New Haven. And I promised Markeisha that I would, I would tell people what's going on. I haven't given it a form, a, a form, a formal title, but I was just like, I, I've been doing my best trying to tell people this is what's happening. But you know what? If you're on Facebook, you have an events section in your Facebook thing. Click on that and you could go local. You could go worldwide. You could do all the things. And then you can find out. Uh, and, and if that's not enough, you can always go uh, to the Arts Council calendar where things are there. Go to the Arts Council, the Great New Haven Arts Council calendar and uh, take a look-see. Take a look-see. Take a look-see and see what's going on. Because there's stuff going on all the time. I swear to God, you could, I mean, you see me, Ife, Dory. I mean, you see, we, we run these streets. And we run these streets, why? Because we don't have little kids at the house. I think if you have little kids, you cannot run the streets. You could probably get a babysitter for w once a week to do some things. But when you are a parent, it's hard. It's, it is, listen, 
When my kids were little, I didn't do any of this stuff. I was all about their world. I spent all my time building stuff around them, right? Like if there was some outing, it was because of them. You know, PTA, PTO, all that stuff. I served on boards of the schools. I served on uh, uh, councils at their schools because I wanted to be that parent. And I was, you know, damn fundraisers. Oh my God, I hated those things. <laughs> fundraisers. So, you know, so, so when you're a parent, it's hard. But and I, have to, I have to remind people, I don't have any little kids at the house. I don't even have grandchildren. So I run these streets like, you know, the way I was running the streets when I was in my 20s before I was married, you know. Uh, and, and when you're married, you can't really run the streets like this, right? Unless you have a, a spouse who can, who, can, uh, who can tolerate that and respect that and not be all in their feelings about it, you know. Well, I got some girlfriends who got husbands who get salty. You know, they've been married for a gazillion years and they still salty. Like, well, wh why you want to go if I don't want to go? That kind of mess. See that, see, that kind of ish would get on my nerves to no end. But then I have girlfriends who husbands was like, oh, yeah, go, girl. <laughs> oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead on. Have a good time. <laughs> I'm at the house. I got me a cold one. I got the cable <laughs> Uh, go girl do it do it he's like i'll put in appearance once or twice a year for some major stuff if it's your organization but beyond that no no <laughs> and i and i and i and i and i love it 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 you know but then but then i got some girlfriends whose husbands get all like well i want to go or they nervous about I, I don't know what they're nervous about you know i was like you either trust your wife or you don't you know what I mean? Like, just trust your wife, you know? So <laughs> it's like, as long as I don't have to go, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, but Harry, you evolved into that because if your wife was running in the back in the day, you were like, oh, why you want to go if I don't want to go kind of stuff. And I know a lot of men like that, but Harry's, Harry has evolved. That's why Harry should write a damn book, a guide on how to be a better husband. You know, really, really, because it is, it is an evolution. It's, 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 a, you have to learn to do that. I mean, my husband was like that too. I, he had to learn. He had to learn how to be on his own. I mean, he knew how to be on his own. He was on his own for his whole life, but he needed to be, uh, he had to understand how to be in relationship and not feel like it's a smothering kind of thing. You know, like I, I got my husband to go to the movies by himself. Cause I would go to movies by myself and he'd be like, why are you going to movies by yourself? You got a whole husband right here. I was like, but there's some things I just want to see by myself. And then once he, I said, listen, you go to movies by yourself and experience it. And I'm going to tell you, you will like it. And I think he went to see some old movie that I didn't want to see. Like I just categorically didn't want to see. Cause we don't have the same kind of film taste. We like some things in common, but the, the majority of things he just wasn't feeling. Like he'd go see stuff that I just wouldn't go see. Um, and sometimes I would just go because I know he needed company, you know, and I know he liked me coming. Uh, but once he went the first time by himself, he was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> he's like, oh, I, he came back home. He's like a kid from the candy store. He's like, oh my God. He's like, I loved it. By, by the like, way, I went to the movies by myself last week what 
Karen went out with her girlfriends and I said, you know, why not? I'm going to go see Black Adam with um, The Rock. Uh-huh. And I went and I saw that. Got my popcorn, my uh, pretzel. Drink, yep. You know, and it was there. I was good. I was good. Did you like it? Like, was it a good experience? It wasn't at all like you thought you, were, you it was going to be, right? You thought you were going to be like, oh, I'm going to miss my wife. I'm a, It's going to be hard. Barry's going to be looking at me. No. It's so funny because Karen goes, I'm so proud of you. Like, I'm, like, I'm a grown man. <laughs> I'm proud man. of you too, Harry. I'm like, I'm a grown man. I sh- you know. <laughs> but so yeah, but I did go and um, the movie was better than I thought it was going to be. I, I just went to go because it wasn't that I wanted to see something. I just didn't want to be home. So. See, look at that. That's pretty cool, Harry. I'm so proud of you. me and Karen. <laughs> I'm like, man, you know, it 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 really doesn't. And I didn't fall asleep. I I've done this before. I've gone out, but I've fallen asleep at the theater. You know, with Karen not by my side. This time it was what two two hours. And by the way, these theaters, I don't need a half hour of coming attractions. I don't mind them, Harry. Oh, my God. You know, like a half hour in, I'm going, okay, wait a minute. Did I, am I in the wrong theater? That's how you feel. It's so, it's so much. Yeah. I, I, I don't mind the coming attractions. I know people, uh-huh. like, like Andrew doesn't like them either, Harry. Like when we go to movies together, he'll stay in the lobby. <laughs> For real, it's like, God. you need- He'll stay in the lobby because he can't stand it. Me, I like to know what's coming. I was like, "Ooh, I might want to see that." Mm, no, I don't want to see that. Yeah, but it's different. I mean, I could do that at home on YouTube, right? You see all the, the trailers. I know, but I, I won't. I won't though. So yeah, I don't mind. <laughs> I, it. And it gets me ready for the movie, that. right? Like it gets me ready really? for the movie, and I get all like, you know, yeah. Really, once I sit down, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, and then also it be so loud, Babs. Oh no, that that right there, Harry is. You're right. It's too loud. It, yeah, I'd be like, where's the remote? I want to lower the volume. <laughs> Harry, I've gotten up and went to the to the usher. I was like, can you turn this down? <laughs> it's like I don't know if it's just age, but no, no. I remember the little boy looking at me like. What lady? And he did. He went and he had it. He, they they turned it down because it was like me and a few other people in the theater. But I've done that a couple of times. No, no I, you're right. It sounds like a truck coming through there. Yeah, they and I actually have asked also when I when I'm leaving, I go, does it need to be this loud? And they say, well, it's an immersive experience. <laughs> yeah, no, like, it's a it's a deafening experience, <laughs> and I don't yeah. like it. <laughs> I guess it's keeping you awake. I, I guess it's keeping your bones awake. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. So, well, I'm so glad, Harry. That means you could come to the porch next summer and hang out. But but you're right. I've evolved into the man I am. Um, they say women train their husbands to be better husbands. Yeah, but the husband has to want to, to be that's to it, stick Harry. around. 
I, I don't know if women can train as much. I think women can suggest, but I think it's in the man to sort of, because it, because it, my husband um, evolved too. He, he evolved because he used to be all hyped up and freaked out about like, where you going? Where you going? And then, then once he settled down and I said, listen, I, my vows are with you. I, I'm serious about these vows. Don't you worry. I, you know, yeah, I mean, because it and it's not, it's just a possession thing, right? When it comes to men, it's like your mind. What, what, well, why do you want to spend more time with your friends? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm here, I'm right here. You need to spend it with me. But then when you're at home, I mean, I could be in my office doing stuff she's not really spending all the time with me. I just want to know she's downstairs yeah. in front of the TV. Yeah, like a hostage. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and as I was evolving, um, Karen had a sense of guilt. Yeah. You know, like, she's like, God, if I go oh, out, I, I feel bad. And blah, yeah, blah, I know blah. you don't like me to go out. Um, you know, and, and I would have to tell her, okay, you can't worry about my feelings at this point because it's about your happiness. I I have to deal with with my wife being happy. I have to learn <laughs> that <laughs> it's, it's okay for my wife to be happy with her friends. <laughs> so I knew that it was a me problem. Yes. So I was telling her, don't do that to yourself. Don't worry about me. I'm going to grow out of this ignorance. Yeah. Because we, yeah. we, we need, we need our friends and, and we need our friends separate and apart from the relationships that we're in. I, I was never really a great girlfriend in the sense that I wanted to be around somebody all the time. I, I really was a terrible girlfriend because I never wanted to, <laughs> I never wanted to spend that much time with anybody. And, you know, I was thinking about this, the, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, because I always had a boyfriend, Harry. Like I grew up, I always had a damn boyfriend. And for the first time in my life, I don't have a boyfriend. And and I'm quite happy about that. And I, I was going back and I was looking through my journals and I was thinking about all the boyfriends I had from like grade school to college through my life. And I and I really did not like spending time, a lot of time with them. Like I never wanted to spend that much time with them. And I was like, damn, there is a whole pattern here about you not wanting to spend time. Uh, and I, I don't know what that is, Harry, except that I just like my own time. I just like my own time. I don't, I don't want to be with somebody every single day, every minute of the day. I can't. I think the only relationship that I ever had like that was my children. Yeah, you know, see, it's, it is because I'm, I'm the same way. I need my space, right? But I realize that you know I I totally enjoy my time with my wife. I like having my wife around me. You know, um, do I want to be doing exactly what she's doing all the time? No, but I like to have her exist around me. Yes, you know? of course. And I realize, I hope so. <laughs> right? And I realize though that 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 was part of the issue of it's like <laughs> i'm the earth and the sun 
she's the sun always around me, always like, and, and I, I realized, listen, you know, you have to be able to exist, you know, still with her warmth, but the sun doesn't always have to shine on you. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, it, it's a rough, let me tell you, it's like going like on detox, right? It is because when you're, when you've done something, to, it's, it's not just you, you, you learn this behavior. When you're, when it's embedded so deep in you to get that out of you, Babs, that's not easy stuff. Oh, I know it's not easy stuff. I yeah. Listen, I know it's not easy stuff because, you know, when my first year, my marriage was so rocky. We, we went into therapy. Uh, we went into therapy. And I remember my mom, my mom, I, I used to run to my mother's house every time I get into it with my husband, you know, and, and, and by get into it, I mean, like, just, just have like, um, you know, uh, harsh words and then silent treatments, right? Because he couldn't understand why, whatever, and I couldn't understand why he, whatever. And my mother said, you know, uh, first of all, you can't be running over here every time. You don't, you don't like the situation at your house. That's number one. <laughs> number two, um, um, y'all got to talk and work this out. Like, he's not a bad man. He's not, he's not your father. He's not your father. You know, he's not going to beat you. He's not going to treat you. He's not going to do any of those kinds of things. And it, and it took us, it took us a year to sort of work through that. And then once we worked through it for the first, that year, Harry, the next nine years uh, was really nice. It was really nice being married the next nine years. And then by the 10th or 11th year, it became, you know, troublesome, but, um, but no, it, was, I mean, uh, we, it was nice. We did marriage counseling too. I think it was maybe 15 years in. Um, and even that, we realized like being in the same room with a, the counselor, whatever, um, wasn't working. We had to have separate sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Because we had, we, had, we had a couple session. And then we had separate time and it was the separate time that made a huge difference for my yeah. then husband made a huge difference for him. It, yeah. It, it, it was so much better than actually spewing the top, the toxicity of your, of your relationship, because even though you're talking to the counselor, you're talking to each other, you're, talking to, you're talking to each other and saying what you don't like about the person across you, you know? So it, it was hard. And so once we separated the sessions, everything got a whole lot better. Yeah, it got a whole lot better. You, you, you learned how to, you know, you learn how, I mean, we just like, you know, I think the biggest thing uh, that I learned was, uh, you know, this is what my husband and I used to do. We'd get mad at each other, Harry, and then we'd walk out. And you wouldn't say where you were going and you wouldn't say when you were back. And so the counselor let us know that when you do that, it's it's like saying it, you have no idea if that person is coming back, even though you kind of know they're coming back. But that's it just shuts down the line of communication. And so we learn to sort of say, I'm leaving. I'm going out, but I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. I'm just going out. And that makes a huge difference to sort of say, I'm, I, I'm going out, 
it, what it says is I'm going out. I love you. I care about you. I'm not going to do anything that's going to tear up this marriage. I'm just going out, you know, and going out usually for me, Harry was like going to a furniture store and walking around for hours or going to have lunch somewhere yeah. by myself. You know what I mean? Like it was like that. No, definitely. And, and that is big because like for me personally, I realized that I had abandonment issues, right? Um, from when I, from really young with my father walking out and everything, I had serious abandonment issues. And yeah, you walking out the room and not talking to me. Yes. Triggered all of that abandonment. So yeah, so it is. You you have to learn how to actually deal with each other yeah. <laughs> and realize the person across from you has feel you know really involved feelings yes you know? yes. and you have to care about that yes so yeah. yes and i you know i think and he had to understand that um uh i i don't like to be yelled at i don't like yelling fights like fights like that i i, I grew up in a very violent household and i just and if you start yelling at me, I just start to shut down. If you start calling me names, if you start that kind of stuff, it shuts me down. Um, and he had to, he had to, uh, uh, he had to learn that. And uh, and so for you know for like ten years, we didn't have any of those kinds of fights. We we didn't fight like that. We didn't fight like you know, oh you bitch or you blah blah. You know that can, it came back around in the end when when we were fully dissolving uh our our marriage is fully dissolving uh but when we were when we were actively happy in this marriage um you know we didn't we didn't fight like that we didn't we didn't use mean words we didn't use i couldn't you know i couldn't call him an asshole or that kind of stuff but like we just took all that stuff off the table because i couldn't i couldn't take it harry like i couldn't take you know being called names or ra or you raising your voice at me like I, it was just, it was just, it was like somebody just cut me when you did that mess. So, um, right. uh, so we just didn't do it. Right. And, and for certain men who all, you know, all you know is aggression. All you know is aggression. All you know is how to push. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that was me. All I knew is how to push, you know, so I had to learn how to, live within myself and, and also realize what the hell was all this aggression about? <laughs> you know, <laughs> who, who, who exactly was I trying to impress? I'm not in the hood. You know, I don't but have the, to. But them hood ways stay with you. <laughs> right. But you're right. That's exactly it. You know, in the hood, you had to put on your armor and go out and fight every day. I was in my house with my, with my loving my wife. wife. <laughs> I'm trying to fight her. <laughs> yeah, it's like what you know. So I had to dial it back, like from a hundred to like fifteen. <laughs> so imagine how how oh my god, how painful it was because you don't just dial it back. You have to learn a lot about yourself in order to dial it back. <laughs> and in learning a lot about yourself, you're 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 healing, but you're in pain throughout the whole healing process. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. And I'm, I'm always struck by how people cannot talk to one another. There's so many people who do not know how to talk to people, you know, unless they are on fire. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> okay. Let me, let me, you know. So that's why I'm a very calm person. Like I, I've always been a very calm, collected person. I'm always calm. Even no matter the situation, I'm always a calm person. And so I, I don't like being met with fire. I just, I just don't do well with that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't do well. Now, my sisters and brothers are a different animal. I think my brother Mike and I are just pretty much the same. Like we we just don't meet fire with fire unless we absolutely have to, right? Mm-hmm. Like until we you know i mean for me i always thought to myself i want to talk everything out but it was me doing all the talking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know so I, <laughs> I i want to talk but listen to me damn it <laughs> and you know i want these people harry when when we have conflict i need a moment i need some time to to gather myself I cannot, in the moment of conflict, deal with the conflict, you know, in interpersonal relationships. I have to step back and, like, give me a few minutes to, like, collect myself. You know, I don't like people who are like, oh, let's just uh, uh, fight through it. You're listening to Love Bass Love Talk on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. You know, for me, um. It was different when it came to to the words I said, right? Because, like, um, I remember the counselor say, sometimes you say things you don't mean. Um, and there was <laughs> there was clarity for me in in this moment because I I real I told the counselor, well, I say everything I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I don't before things come out of my mouth, I've already parsed all the words. My mind is going 100 miles an hour. So I can't say, well, this slipped. I usually can't say that. Most of the things don't slip. Most of the things are have already gone through my filters before it comes out of my mouth. So I had to <laughs> I had to realize, and, and it was something Karen said. Um, that she's like, your truth doesn't have to be a, a brutal truth. I could get your oh. message without you being brutal wow. about your truth. So I had to you know, stop you. Woo. Yeah, I had to realize that I was coming with a blade. I was cutting all everything. <laughs> When all I had to do was say, hey, listen, I don't like this or I don't like that. No, I had to hound everything that I, everything I said, not only had to be true, it had to be brutally true. This is, and it's your fault because this and that and this, instead of just dealing with the truth. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it takes so, so much work, man. I wish I could explain this. It's like when I try to explain my back pain and stuff like that. People go, but you do everything. And I go, yeah, but I can't explain how much pain I'm in every day. Yeah. When when a doctor asked me from a scale to one to 10, where are you? Well, I live in an eight. But there's spikes to a 12 in that 
<laughs> one to ten. So and it's like, but you don't show it. Well, yeah, but that's the way I was raised. You don't show pain. You know, so those are one of my issues where I will, you know, like my tattoo say, I say, I think to myself, sweet suffering, but that's not as sweet about it. Right. So and that's part of your your whole persona, your what you bring into a relationship, everything. And you have to learn how to dial the pain back, at least emotionally. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Because I've seen people. I've seen people destroy really good relationships because they could not get themselves together. They just could not get themselves together. I've I've watched people destroy their marriages and relationships and friendships, all the things that they care about and, and you know, relationships with their kids and all those other kinds of stuff because they could not get past their own pain and suffering and hurt. This masquerading as, well, I'm eh, well, I'm right and I'm this and you're wrong. And you know, and that's right. no way to live. You know, and, and I've joked about it before, but uh, my psychologist one day told me, you know, little Harry still lives in there. He's crying in his closet. <laughs> and I, and she said, you ha- she said, you have to let him out to deal with all the issues in order for you to heal. And I've always told when, when my psychologist said that, I said, well, Harry's going to live in the closet for the rest of his life because he's not coming out. I'm not gonna be. I, I'm not gonna bring that guy out to be, and it really be a mess, <laughs> you know. So, but, <laughs> but that is part of it, right? You have every all, you know. When they say skeletons in the closet, we all do, and it's the skeletons are our pains, are, you know, our suffering, everything. Yeah. And I won't let all of it out all at once, but over the years, I've let out parts of the skeleton in order to bury those things mm-hmm. and eventually that skeleton is going to be done and buried but i wasn't going to let him out all at once <laughs> <laughs> inch by inch yeah because i knew i couldn't deal with it all at once that there's too many scars on that kid you know so i mean but you know Therapy is, and let me tell you, I haven't, I've never existed in therapy for long periods of time. Yeah. But every time I've gone, well, with the good psychologist that I found, I've, I've actually, and, and people find yourself a good one. If one doesn't work, it doesn't mean you, 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 you stop working on yourself. No, go find yourself a good one. But the good one that I found she was able to get to certain areas that actually made me think, which I, I sat in front of different doctors and psychologists before, and nobody's ever been able to, to trigger anything in me. And this, this little old lady that I went to that I thought to myself, whatever, I sat down with her and it was like sitting down with my grandmother. And talking to my grandmother, and it was like, at the end of it, I was like, "How the hell, how the hell you did you do that?" I'm a professional. <laughs> I was like, "You got me to talk about stuff that I've never told anyone," 
And she's like, she just gave me that little smile. And I was like, ooh, she's dangerous. <laughs> but, but yeah, so find yourself a good one. Find yourself that person you could talk with. Yes. So we're going to take a break because we've got Dr. Camelia Lawrence coming up. You know, Harry, it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I heard in, in, in the list of things you've read. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think that was part of the list, right? Yes. 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 <laughs> the million things that... The million things that are celebrated in October. All the awarenesses. <laughs> National Sarcasm Month and <laughs> yeah. Breast Cancer Breast Cancer Awareness Month is one of them. So Dr. Camelia Lawrence is a, a, a noted leading breast surgeon here in Connecticut um, and a beautiful, beautiful, stunningly beautiful Jamaican woman. And uh, uh, and she's like, I don't know, Harry, she's like 6'2 or something around this. She's like tall and gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's coming on to talk about uh, breast health. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to her. And, you know, listen, breast cancer awareness goes beyond October, people. But for those who need October as a reminder. But this uh, is like the month to go get your mammograms. Yeah, well, this is the month. If, if you need a reminder, you know, because some, some women will say, Harry, oh, you know, I forget. So if, if October is the way that you are reminded because of all the breast cancer awareness stuff that goes on then so be it so yeah. so so yeah, yeah so, so we gotta take a break so go schedule your stuff <laughs> get the tatas looked at <laughs> yeah there, there you go <laughs> somebody had to say it somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so you listen to love best love talk on wnhhlp 103.5 fm um and we're gonna be right back look for that other link bev has a wonderful guest coming up so so we'll be back we'll be back just look for the other link for the newbies for the folks who just tuned in we'll be back we'll be right back
Let's 
distant shores I've been waiting wanting more for the whole night and it ain't right I've been saying what's on my mind trying to explain what can't be defined and for so long it's been so strong suddenly it's clear now that I can hear These love notes, the ones that I wrote Oh, these melodies, here are some memories And these love notes, I found in an old coat Mean something new, all because of you Someone to lean on, can you hear me? Come near me. I've been dreaming my angel will come, but I never
back, beautiful people, to the second hour of Love Babs, Love Talk on Babs Rolls Ivy. I am delighted to have Dr. Camelia Lawrence on today because we've been talking about this for like, I don't know, the last couple of years about her coming on and, and talking about her breast cancer health. So listen, um, Dr. Camelia Lawrence uh, is a doctor, a board certified surgeon specializing in benign and malignant breast disease. Uh, she has a fellowship training in, in advanced breast cancer surgery, including skin and nipple sparing mastectomy, uh, sentinel uh, node biopsy, and oncoplastic techniques. Um, she is currently she currently serves as director of breast surgery for the Hospital of Central Connecticut and Mid State Medical Center responsible for further developing their breast programs. And she serves as assistant professor of surgery at the University of Connecticut School of Medicine, uh, where she works as medical students and surgical residents, uh, nurturing her personal interest in teaching the future generation. Welcome, Dr. Lawrence. I am happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so listen, the fact that you are model beautiful. <laughs> You are kind and, and run and runway ready all the time. <laughs> Aside from all that, you are a, a, a breast surgeon. And uh, and now that uh, October is uh, breast cancer awareness. And I'm struck by how many women I know, Dr. Lawrence, who still are afraid to go get their breast examined, who still don't want to get that early detection. Um Talk to us about what that what that looks like and and how we could overcome that. You know, it's it's such a challenging um, mindset, uh, right? Because it's rooted in fear. And cancer, I often say, is a fear monger. And I think um, what we really need to do is dispel some of those myths about mammography. And I often hear them in my travels when I do community outreach. It's it is painful. Uh, mammography is associated with increased risk of uh, radiation and, and cancer elsewhere. Uh, so it's really education, educating the masses and really empowering them and helping them to understand that we don't have a cure for this disease. And until we identify a cure for breast cancer, early detection is our best ammunition. You know, but there are about 3.8 million breast cancer survivors here in the United States alone. And part of it has to do with advancing treatment. But to be honest with you, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're able to catch this disease at its earliest stage when it's most treatable. And for Black women, uh, when we get breast cancer, oftentimes we die, right? Like it's, a dis it's, dis it's such a disparity yeah. Yeah. In, in, in how we get breast cancer and our treatment of breast cancer and our survival rates than other people. Absolutely. You know, and in Black women, we get breast cancer less frequently. But like you said, when we do, the mortality rate is much higher. So statistically, Black women are almost twice as likely to die of their breast cancer diagnosis. And it's a, it's a complex issue, but some of it is rooted in one late stage of diagnosis. You know, a woman who's diagnosed with very early stage breast cancer, stage zero breast cancer, also known as DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ. The five-year survival, for example, it's about 99% for the majority of women. In contrast to a woman who's diagnosed with stage four breast cancer, this is breast cancer that's left the breast, it's beyond the lymph nodes and can be found in other organs of the body. 
that survival number drops precipitously to 25%. I mean, look at that gap from 99% to 25%, and it's all rooted in a stage of diagnosis. The biology of the tumor also plays a role. Um, you know, women are more likely, black women in particular, are more likely to get a type of breast cancer that's called triple negative breast cancer. Mm. And what we know about triple negative breast cancer is that it confers a more aggressive tumor biology. There's an increased risk of local recurrence, so the disease coming back. There's also an increased risk of distant uh, disease, so the disease infiltrating other organs, such as the liver, the bone, the brain, or even the lung. Um, so the biology of the tumor is more aggressive, and we tend to see that more commonly or more frequently among black women. But there are also socioeconomic barriers, right? Um, some of that also has to do with biases as well. Women, whether they're able to get the treatment that they need in their local community, is it accessible? Are they able to complete the entire treatment recommendation? Because we know that the successful management of a breast cancer patient goes well beyond surgery. In some cases, surgery is a second line of treatment. They may need chemotherapy first, followed by surgery. And unless you complete all the recommended arms of treatment, your survival will differ. Um, so that's where socioeconomic comes into play. And also insurance, being uninsured or underinsured, does play a huge role. Yes. And, uh, and that seems to be a conversation now, particularly when we talk about um, maternal uh health of, mm -hmm. uh, of women who are having babies and, and, um, and what that means across socioeconomic uh, uh, stages, that it doesn't matter what your educational background or where you, how much money you have, mm -hmm. and no matter how much health insurance, it's a, it's, it's a combination of all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So talk, talk to me about the, the changes that you've seen over the years in terms of breast cancer uh, treatments and health and all of that. Like we've come a long way, I think. Mm -hmm. we, we've come a long way. You know, you you, well, from a medical standpoint, we talk about the surgery that you typically do for breast cancer in particular has completely evolved. You know, back in, in the days, you know, the Halstead mastectomy where a woman would have her breast removed, the muscle would be removed. You know, I remember, I think I was perhaps five years out in practice and I, I stumbled across an 80 year old woman who had breast cancer many years ago and she had the Halstead and completely deformed uh, from the surgery itself. And it's no longer that way. We've made several advances surgically. I mean, I have patients now who are genetically at a higher risk of breast cancer and they've undergone formal genetic counseling and testing and determine that they're a carrier of a mutation and they have risk-reducing mastectomies. And what that means is actually as a surgeon, I go in and I scoop out all the breast tissue and you leave the skin envelope and the plastic surgeon is able to reconstruct the breast. And the overwhelming majority of the time, no one can tell except for that patient that that woman has had a mastectomy. So we've made several advances along those lines and her, her drugs or chemotherapeutic options have significantly increased. We are now in the era of what we call precision medicine. We know that no exact tumor is, the same, no two tumors exactly the same. And we're able to look at the tumor biology and tailor that specific treatment for that woman. So we've made tremendous advances. And so, and so do you, do you think, uh, Dr. Lawrence, that we'll see a, a cure? Because I know President Biden has talked about, he believes that we will see a cure for certain cancers in, in our lifetime, right? Whatever, whatever that looks like. I mean, do you, do you, do you feel that way as a, as a practicing physician? 
I think eventually we will. And, you know, we often among ourselves as, as physicians, we say, you know, in breast cancer world, you know, a surgeon in particular, at least I think eventually at some point we'll move away from surgery. We'll be able to treat breast cancer with medication uh, only. I mean, we've gone away from, you know, doing the mastectomies to now we able to demonstrate that women who have a lumpectomy, which is just removal of the part of the breast with the cancer, um, followed by radiation that they do well. We're now doing less surgery, less axillary dissection. Um, there are clinical trials that are out there now that looks at women who have early stage breast cancer, DCIS, and whether they could be treated with cryotherapy to take care of the disease without devoid of any sort of surgical intervention. So we are making progress. I don't have a timeline in terms of when that will happen, uh, which is why our message today is still is that early detection is key. Let's find the cancer at its earliest stage when it's most treatable. And, and we're starting to sort of see more and more men or the conversation of uh, raising awareness around men and breast cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had a couple of famous men who have had breast cancer, like Richard Roundtree, uh, mm-hmm. who, who talk about this uh, openly. So uh, do you see men in your practice? I do, I do, you know, and, and I, you know, Beyonce's uh, dad, I uh, did an expose on this when he was diagnosed with it because it's sort of a conversation that has not been in the spotlight for quite some time. And the reality is that men do get breast cancer at a significantly smaller rate than women do. In the US alone, we see about one to 2% would translate to about 3000 cases uh, yearly, uh, but men do get breast cancer. It typically presents as a lump um, because, or a nipple discharge or skin changes because we don't do routine screening mammography for men. Um, so typically they've noticed an abnormality within the breast. So the message there is that for any man, you know, if you notice any changes in the breast, you should have it evaluated as well, because you too can develop breast cancer. Wow. And so when men come in and they say, or they find out they have breast cancer, is it the same? Do they have the same fears and the same reactions as women? Like, what is the difference? Emotionally, uh, sometimes the response is different, but I do think the common reaction is fear. They want to know, can I survive this disease? Um, They're interested in what are the surgical options for them? You know, will this render them disease-free? Can I go back to my activities of daily living? Will I be able to continue to work? So there are some commonalities independent of, uh, of gender. Um, they ask about treatment. What will the treatment mean for them um, in terms of their sexual function? That's a question that tends to come, come up a little more often uh, <laughs> when having conversation <laughs> with men uh, about breast cancer. But we get them through. The men are essentially treated the same way in terms of the surgical aspect of it for uh, breast cancer is that we remove the breast the majority of time in men. And we also look at the lymph nodes to ensure that the disease have not left the breast, or if it's left the breast, that will also dictate the kind of treatment that they'll need post-surgery. So, you know, Dr. Lawrence, there's a lot of conversation about when women should get a mammography. Mm-hmm. And, and we're seeing young women get breast cancer as early as 25, 23. Mm-hmm. And some are told, well, you know, you don't really have to have it looked at till you're 40, maybe 45 mm-hmm. and, and, and the likes. What, what do you tell, what would you tell us to, to how to use our judgment about when we should get yeah. this, even though we have doctors. Yeah, so the current guideline is for the average risk woman, which is age 40. 
However, if you have a family history of breast cancer, Bob, that number may be totally different from, for you. And I think that every woman by age 25 to 30 should really have a risk assessment to know what their personal risk for breast cancer is. Because if you have a family history and perhaps a genetic predisposition to the disease or your carrier of the BRCA1 or 2 or any of the other known mutations, your screening starts as early as 25. You're not waiting until 40 you have to begin your screening at 25. And I have patients who come in and they'll say to me, Dr. Lawrence, my mom had breast cancer at age 36 or age 37. Well, you and I know that that 40 guideline is not applicable to that woman. That's a woman that needs to be screened at minimum seven years earlier than when her mom was diagnosed. So I think it's really important to have these candid conversations with your clinician so that you can figure out what your risk is. Because if you're not average risk, then there will be some deviation from that 40 um, national guideline that's usually utilized as a benchmark. And, and there's a lot of conversation about how to be preventative. Can mm -hmm. we be preventative? What, what can we do to sort of lessen <laughs> our <laughs> risk? Good luck with that one, right? I mean, the number one risk factor for getting breast cancer is by virtue of being a female. You know, and there's not much that you can okay. do. <laughs> not much that you can do about it. The second is age. Um, you know, so those are all variables that are outside of our control. I think there's some um, behavioral uh, modification that may help. Because, for example, one we know that alcohol consumption increases our risk. For oh. <laughs> We know that tobacco use increases our risk for uh, certain <laughs> breast cancer. Um, I often say all things in moderation when talking about alcohol consumption. It doesn't mean that you have to completely abstain from it, but those are some of the things. Uh, we know that you know your weight, your BMI is also a contributing factor when it comes to different types of um, breast cancer. But for the most part, I, I tell women there's not a singular causative agent, right, for breast cancer. You can, I have patients with BMI of, you know, 18. Uh, they're, they're thin, they're marathon runners. Um, they don't consume alcohol, they don't smoke, and they still develop breast cancer. Um, so we, I don't have the magical answer as to what to tell you, like to prevent breast cancer. Some of it may be environmental vibes, who knows, you know, um, so that's a tough one to really have a conversation about, but I do encourage my patient that, you know, maintaining a, a, a balanced diet, some form of activity, abstaining from tobacco use, that those are some of the things that you can do from a risk reduction standpoint. So I would imagine, Dr. Lawrence, that you, you stay on top of the latest medical information that comes out around breast cancer. And I would imagine uh, that that information is an ever evolving, uh, uh, the research is ever evolving. Mm -hmm. and, and, and how fast does it, when you're, when you're looking at, at information, how often um, is it evolving and how fast are the, are the, the, the strides and, and the next level kinds of treatments uh, mm -hmm. are, are being put out there? I would say at least every two or three years, something big comes out. And a lot of times, it, most of the changes that I've experienced has to do with pharmacology, different drugs that are coming out that are able to treat um, the cancer, being able to treat specific types of cancer. And when I say not, it's no longer one size fits all. For example, you know, we in the past, any whenever a woman has breast cancer, there are three proteins that we look at on the tumor that helps to drive the type of treatment that they can get. 
estrogen, progesterone, and HER2. It gives you information about the biology of your tumor. And in the past, any woman, I will tell you, especially premenopausal woman, diagnosed with breast cancer that was greater than a centimeter, they were more likely to get chemotherapy. And a few years ago, we had a study that's called the Taylor X trial. And what that did was it randomized women who had hormone receptor positive, node negative breast cancer. And they looked specifically at the tumor biology. And we're not able to break those women down into different subgroups because we're able to identify that at least 70% of those women who would have traditionally received chemotherapy did not benefit from the chemotherapy. They mm. didn't need chemotherapy. They only benefited from the hormonal therapy. So now we have a test that's called an Oncotype DX and it generates a recurrent score. And I will tell you just about all of the medical oncologists, my colleagues, they use this test to help to guide your treatment. So women who have these more favorable biology tumor, the hormone receptor positive tumor, are now less likely to get chemotherapy. So there's always things that are involved in our field that causes us to pivot and have to do things differently. And I suspect that will only continue into the future as we're able to do more research and we're able to learn more about breast cancer as a whole. I know right now they're thinking about developing a vaccine. Uh, and there is, Whoa. yeah, there is, or I don't have all the details about it, but I know that there, is, there are clinical trials. Um, there are different universities across the country that are working on vaccine to breast cancer. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be a game changer. Right in the Absolutely. fight for for this disease. Yes, it would be. So, so let me switch gears a little bit. How did you know you wanted to be a breast cancer surgeon? How did you know this? And and tell me about where you come from and and your educational pursuits. Uh, so I don't I don't know if I started out wanting to be a breast surgeon. I so I was born and raised in Jamaica. Um, my mom and dad immigrated here when. I was a teenager. Um, it was primarily in pursuit of educational and socioeconomic opportunities for us, uh, the children in particular. And we settled on Long Island. Um, I still have very vivid memories of, you know, being here, experiencing snow for the first time and <laughs> <laughs> wondering what that stuff on the ground was. And you know, I eventually acclimated. Um, but to be honest with you, Bob, I did not know whether I would be able to go to college or not. Uh, I, you know, I'm the first in my family to attend and graduate um, college. I have very humble uh, beginnings. Uh, the first few years after we emigrated here was quite challenging. And it was, we had setbacks in terms of my, my dad became very ill. He was the breadwinner. At that time, my mom was a homemaker. So the dynamics uh, shifted. But long story short, I landed at Fordham University. Um, and, and that was my, my Fordham gave me the opportunity that I needed to be here today. I was accepted uh, through the higher educational opportunity program there. And I wasn't sure about medicine. I took all the pre-medical course, um, but I've always enjoyed teaching. I taught while I was at Fordham to the, um, through the summer programs to the local kids in the Bronx. And I wanted to teach. So when I graduated Fordham, I actually joined New York City uh, public school system as an eighth grade health and science teacher. I did not know that. I did. <laughs> I often say that these, these teenagers, they drove me into medicine. <laughs> You know, after I did that, it's, that's when I decided I would apply to medical school because one, I, I really wanted to have 
an impact on a, on a larger scale. I was interested in women's health in particular. I've always enjoyed working with my hands and I figured at least if I became a doctor, I could also continue to teach. I could teach medical students, I could teach other residents. Uh, so I went on to University of Rochester, I did four years of medical school. And this is where mentorship is important because I had the great fortune of meeting Dr. Walter Cooper, um, who had been the first um, PhD uh, chemist to graduate from the university and was just very committed to, to giving back. Um, so he sort of took me under his wing while I was there, both he and his wife, uh, his late wife, Helen. So I had great mentorship while I was there. And I met this uh, breast surgeon, Dr. Gretchen Arndt. And I asked her, I said, you know, I went to the OR with her. I was, I was smith. I just loved how this woman operated. She controlled the room. I mean, she was just a brilliant surgeon and I could see myself in that role. So I asked her, um, could I spend some time with her? And she said, yes. So I started going to spend some time with her in the clinic and go into the operating room with her. And then I decided, you know what? I could see myself doing this. It allows me to operate so I can use my hands. Two, it allows me to focus on the area of health that I wanted to focus on, which was women's health. And what I liked about breast was that there was some continuity of care there. It wasn't you operate and you never see the patient again. You operate, but these are women that you continue to see for a very long time. You may even see their daughters, their mom and other family members. So I really enjoy that aspect of it. So here I am today, you know. So, I mean, you are, I mean, there can't be that many black women surgeons of any sort let alone breast surgeons. Mm -hmm. So what, what it has been like to sort of, I, I would imagine, Dr. Lawrence, you show up as the only. In several rooms, in several <laughs> places, many times. <laughs> you, you do. Um, and, you know, I often say one of the biggest obstacles that I had to overcome along the journey was believing that I belonged and that I could do this because I didn't know anybody that looked like me who was doing what I wanted to do. So I'm at a point in my career now where I enter these spaces with confidence and knowing within myself that I'm equally as competent um, to get the job done. But you're absolutely right. You're consistently spaces where you are the only one. And so I, I know, I know you socially, and mm -hmm. I know that you, you surround yourself um, uh, with the community of folks who sort of um, give you uh, that sister warmth and love and I think that's important and I think uh young women today uh look toward uh look are looking for that same kind of commitment talk about how important it is to build a community outside of the work that you do oh it has been I mean I I, I don't think I would get through life and the work that I do without my tribe my village um, they are the, the building block. They are there for me, the high lows and in, in, in between. Um, they are the, way, the ones that help me to tap into um, the inner me and to believe in myself. Um, the kind of um, support infrastructure that you get through that, it's irreplaceable. It's even very hard for me to describe. I mean, the fact that I'm speaking with you this morning was orchestrated by, you know, the president of Jack, you know, it's Karen. I mean, she, she's, she has my back, you know, so to, to surround yourself with that wall of support, 
you know, that impervious wall of support, that authenticity, spaces where you're allowed to be yourself at all times. I mean, that has been a game changer for me. And let me just tell people, Jack is the Jamaican American Connection uh, mm-hmm. founded by uh, uh, Karen Holness, who is my glam captain who runs Hair's <laughs> K Salon. Uh, but Jack, Jamaican American Connection is a scholarship um, uh, making organization um, for Caribbean folks and their children to yeah. continue their higher education aspirations, which is important, yeah. I think. Yeah, because college is expensive, (laughs) very expensive. And I think the mission and organization is rooted in the understanding that education is important. You know, I remember growing up, despite our socioeconomic uh, status, my dad would often emphasize the importance of a good education. He saw education as the great equalizer is that, you know, you'd always say whatever you learn, whatever knowledge you gain, it's the one thing that no one can ever take away from you. So he would always push for it for myself, for my younger brothers. That was always a big component of it is that you must, must not secure as much knowledge as you possibly can. And I think you see that in Jack, all the efforts revolves around how do we educate and empower our children so that they can become productive members of society and also contribute to making this world a better place for everyone. I know that you, you do a lot of community outreach and a lot of community work. Like, I see you. (laughs) Talk a little bit about the motivation behind being so community active Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 what that means to your life. You know, it's, it's fulfilling. I have received so much to get to where I am. I have crossed so many troubled waters, uh, so many bridges, and it's all been people who's helped me along the way. Some of whom are perfect strangers, some people who are told from different walks of life. So I feel that I've gotten so much that now it's my time, my opportunity to give back and in doing so enriches my life. I think I actually get more (laughs) out of these experiences and community engagement and those who are there it's 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 very gratifying for me it fills my soul it replenishes my spirit and it helps me to to carry on and it's funny that you said that because you know I'm very very close to my dad and you know the other day he said to me Camilla you're always going just know that you can exhaust people You know, and it was sort of my, he was helping me to understand my weakness is that I, for me, it's not work. You know, it comes very naturally for me and that I'm sustained busy and being able to contribute and do my part is fulfilling for me, you know, so. <laughs> and you're a mom, like you have three I children. Two, I have two kids. Two, yeah. two children. I, you know, every time I see your children, they're always in connection with other children so I don't know whose children belong to who uh, but you have two children and I know they are swimmers or learning to swim or have learned to swim because they are always in the water when I see them now yeah. talk about what it means to and your children are young children like how do you how do you balance motherhood and being a surgeon and being a community activist uh in 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 this world today yeah, it's, it's a juggle. It's a constant juggle. And I, I do have uh, support. I'm not doing it alone. 
Um, but you'll notice now my kids are older. I take them to these events with me. You know, my daughter in particular, she, she as soon as she sees me getting dressed, she said, mommy, where are you going today? Can I come? You know, and she started putting on her clothes too. And then Nathan follows suit, you know, so I do bring, <laughs> I do bring. Like your kids are so social. <laughs> <laughs> they are very, very gregarious, you know, and, and now they're at the age now where they can follow instructions. So they'll sit down and, you know, they'll behave, they'll engage. So I do take them along with me, but I do, they are my priority and they know that. So their time set aside, whether it's for, you know, family events, fam dinner together, you know, there are moments that we sit down and we're able to bond. But it's a juggling act, right? Being a, being a mom, being a surgeon and being very much interested and motivated and having an impact outside of the home, but also in society is that you're constantly juggling uh, both. But I try not to lose sight of where my uh, priority um, lies. A friend of mine described as an analogy of juggling balls. And sometimes some balls will hit the ground, but there are certain balls that must never hit the ground. Yes. And, you know, and, you know, and that's what I try to do on a day-to-day -day basis. So if there's somebody listening today who, who is considering a, a career in medicine, considering a career in medicine and, and might not have uh, the traditional route or, mm -hmm. or may have to consider an untraditional route, what would mm -hmm. you say to them? I said, if it's your passion, you go for it. See, I'm able to do what I do because it's not work. And I think when I see this as my calling, this is what I was put here to do. So if you've identified medicine, I will tell you when I went to medical school, there were several non-traditional students. Um, there were students who, like myself, that were on their second career. They started off doing something completely different. It doesn't even have to be medicine related. In fact, I think a lot of medical school now are looking for what they call outside the box thinkers. You know, people who've had life experiences that will contribute and solidify their interests that are coming in with an understanding, a worldwide view and understanding. So that may even be work to your advantage that you're not, you're a non-traditional um, student. There are certain core requirements that are required so that you'll have to complete those courses, but it's never too late. If this is what you see yourself doing for the rest of your life, and this is where you can have an impact, I say go for it. Find a mentor. You know, it, that was one of the things that I learned along the way is that you don't know what you don't know, and mentorship is important. So try to identify somebody who has walked the path that you're attempting to take and see if you can help with, they can help you with some guidance, you know? But you have How the gravitas. You've got the gravitas to do whatever you put your mind to. How does a good doctor self-care? What do you, how do you take care of Camelia Lawrence? How do you do that? What do you do? I, I exercise. I am a big walker whenever. Yes, I, I know you're a walker because you take the most beautiful pictures on your walks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big walker. Um, you know, I don't do as much as I, I should in terms of self-care, and that has to do with time. But I also meditate. Um, and um, I meditate mostly in the mornings. And usually I get up and I write a post. And that's usually something on social media that inspires me and hopefully will inspire somebody else that's reading my Facebook or my Instagram uh, page. But I try to stay centered. Um, I also read a fair bit. Um, I do have a commute to work, so I've got all sorts of podcasts and, you know, audio books that I, I listen to to help me on my 
my journey and just to enrich um, my mind. But I definitely need to do a lot more in terms of self-balance, self-balance and care. That's an area that needs improvement in my life. Yes, I, I think uh, every Black woman on the planet is, uh, I don't want to say struggle. We wrestle with how to uh, say no to things, mm. how to put ourselves at the top of our list, mm. you know, how to relax and have downtime, you know, mm. how to not be busy, how to, how to, you know, sit down and read a book sometimes. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a wrestling it's, game. And I, and I think you, you articulated very well. How do you prioritize yourself? I don't think we're, our brains are wired to do that, right? <laughs> Like it's, it's, I'm going to center myself. This is going to be about me, you know? <laughs> and you're like, oh, but I, I'll, I'll think about me once I go get the things for the kids yeah, and exactly. do the thing at the school and exactly. you know, be at church and yeah. all the things. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, um, you know, I have to say at this stage of my life, boss, I'm going through this transformation and I'm, I am getting a little bit more comfortable in saying no and not overextended myself because at the end of the day I'm not winning by overextending my I'm not enjoying if I'm overextended I don't think those who are going to be participated will enjoy it if I am overextended and I'm not happy to be here so I'm really now utilizing that no more frequently and a no without explanation because usually yes. I say no I can't because I'm doing X. now it's like I'm unable to at this time yes because no is a complete sentence <laughs> <laughs> We have all realized that. <laughs> no, it's a complete sentence. That's it. <laughs> well, I, I, I so enjoyed this conversation. I've been waiting for this conversation for a long time. As I said to people, I see, I see you out socially. We are friends. Um, mm-hmm. But this was really special to sort of have you on to talk about your area of expertise still in the month of October, which is breast cancer awareness. Uh, but breast cancer awareness goes beyond October. So, you know, don't feel like if you didn't do it in October, get it done in November. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and get your mammogram. It's it's year-round early detection. Um, you know, and mammography saves lives. You know, one of the things I want to point out before we we leave Bob, is that not all breast cancer presents as lump. I'll have women who come in to examine my breast, I don't feel anything. Well, some breast cancer majors present as microcalcifications or just a change within the breast tissue that you're not going to feel an exam. Even myself, as a surgeon who does this for a living, will not appreciate it on a clinical exam, which is why mammography is so important that you get the picture taken so that we can really get a good look at the breast tissue and make sure we're not missing anything. And as I often say, you are worth it. And you have to take care of yourself in order to be able to take care of others. And that, my friends, is a wrap because I don't know what else to say after that. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Lawrence. I so appreciate you. And I look forward to seeing you in real life soon. Yes, and you know we will. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Enjoy the rest of your day. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, K-Holeness. I appreciate you too, my love. Harry, play us out. Thank you. And uh, I'll see you on Monday. Have a very good weekend. Get those mammograms, sisters. Get them. (laughs) 